Hey, everybody. Dave Lindbergh here with another episode of THD Podcast coming to you from Hong Kong. Today, we have Mimi Technologies coming in from Berlin with their sound personalization technology. So we're going to talk all about that and the different types of audio products that this technology is applicable to. So as always, our co-host calling in, acoustic engineer, the, in all his glory from Sendai, Japan. Simon, how are you today? Good, thanks, Dave. I've got a uh, product that's using the Mimi technologies uh, today. This is a Bayer Dynamics that's uh, got wow. uh, Mimi built in. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's very, very nice of Mimi to ship those from Berlin to uh, yeah. Japan in a hurry for this call today. And so, yeah, our, our special guest, the host, the CEO of Mimi, calling in from Berlin, Mr. Philip Skribanowitz. Uh, how's it going today, Philip? Wonderful. Uh, great to be on the show. Uh, good morning, Dave. Good morning, Simon. Okay. Yeah, so a little bit of time difference. So it's actually a nice afternoon here in Hong Kong, but uh, morning in Berlin. But this is this is the world of global audio manufacturing. So, uh, so Philip, yeah, Mimi's, I've met uh, you guys, I think, the first time in Berlin at IFA a couple years ago. And I got a pretty cool demo, so it's stuck in my head. So as we're doing this podcast, I thought, well, here's an interesting technology that we should learn more about. So maybe we could back it up for people and uh, tell them a bit about the history of Mimi and what your goal is and, and how the technology works. Yeah. Um, I myself come from a mechanical, mechanical engineering background, and so I'm maybe oversimplifying some things today. But my co-founder, Dr. Nick Clark, he did his PhD and uh, postdoc times in hearing research labs, and we initially started really from tackling disabling hearing loss. But we then realized that this can also have benefits for uh, subclinical levels of hearing loss. And then we basically went into um, hearing augmentation uh, for a healthy, healthier listening. And initially, we started with hearing test and Nick's biologically inspired algorithms. So yeah, we realized this is really applicable also to, to music listening. And then we started the licensing business. So our testing, processing, and fitting technology is available to a lot of verticals from headphones, TVs, streaming services, in-flight entertainment. Um, but yeah, I will tell later more, more about this. Um, should I share, share some slides about Mimi? Yeah, sure. Please. Yeah, is this casting? Uh, oh. Uh, not yet. Just uh, share screen the bottom middle. There we go. Yeah. Um, I prepared uh, three three parts. On the one hand, an introduction of what we're doing. Uh, then we can dive later on a little bit more into the science behind Mimi and why an EQ is not the answer to actual hearing loss. And then how Mimi can be integrated. Um, maybe I'll start with the first part and we just have a conversation around the parts. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, I might be simplifying some things today and drawing a lot of analogies to kind of make the topic of hearing more accessible because there's a difference between audio and hearing. And we usually bring this example from vision. Uh, if you're buying an ultra HD television, of course you're putting on your glasses to really see all the details. But if we're looking at the audio industry, there are billions spent on delivering the best sound from great recording equipment, mixing, uh, delivery through codecs and so on, and then people are spending hundreds, uh, hundreds of dollars on devices. Uh, but then the last inch, the hearing ability is not considered in that chain. And this is especially tragic uh, because hearing loss is a growing problem. Like in our parents' ages, it was like the factory noise and work safety that was the biggest problem. But now it's actually the devices that we're using are causing more harm and the events that we're going to, so recreational hearing loss. Already 15% of school children in the US have permanent hearing damage. So this is really a rising epidemic and that is becoming a huge problem. And at the same time, we see that audio is becoming way more important. And uh, now the, like since Corona, uh, the, the, the consumption hours have gone up drastically, like seven hours per day of audio consumption with uh, conference calls like like ours today, uh, but also Netflix music listening has gone up and voice really becoming like a super important interface where we are interacting with machines. So if our hearing is compromised, that is a big problem. It used to be keyboards, then touch, and now voice interfaces in our kitchens, our cars, 
uh, in even noisy surroundings that make it more difficult if you have hearing loss to listen. And we are, we're also talking about something like situational hearing loss. If your hearing is still perfect in a noisy environment, it might still be, still be hard. That's something that we also tackle. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so Mimi uh, takes a little bit different approach than others in the industry. Um, we are uh, taking care of this last inch and going upstream, like from the human understanding how the brain translates an audio wave into information in the brain. Um, and we are optimizing for that understanding the biology and physiology, physiology of, the, of the ear and the brain, how they interact with each other. And there are a lot of technical optimizations that make sure that the right signal arrives. And I think these two, these two fields need to be bridged. And there are things like resolution on, if we go back to vision, there's resolution of TVs, there's color correction, but if you just have bad vision, you cannot see what's, what is coming to you. So these two worlds need to be uh, harmonized together. And that's what Mimi is about. Okay. And we are working on, on, on two fields. We work on the health and medical side. We're really science-driven. We have medically certified technology, really as a medical product in the European Union. And that really advances our understanding of hearing, then bringing it to products like hearables or TVs and so on, uh, where it makes a better sound experience and a healthier listening because we don't need to increase the volume, but rather bring out the details, which then leads to less hearing loss down the time and down the road. And the devices are, of course, way more attractive and have way more reach than conventional uh, hearing aids and can make people think about the topics way earlier so that they save their hearing that is really precious. Um, yeah, so we are augmenting hearing and actively protecting it. Um, how does that work? Uh, so we have a licensing model. So a partner integrates our technology into the device. Uh, a user buys the device, then downloads the companion app, takes a two-minute hearing test. We create their hearing profile and calculate the presets of the processing. And then whatever they listen to, may it be a, a conference call, a movie, music, or a voice assistant, it's more easily understood. And the great thing, uh, since users want to have that seamlessly, you're creating a hearing ID, which you then can uh, log in on other devices that are Mimi enabled to also bring your special preferences to it. If we take the example from, from vision again, if I have an old tube television or I have a ultra HD television, my glasses help me, help me in both cases to, to perceive it better. Uh, so Mimi improves the, the listening experience on 600 euro biodynamic headphones, but also mm -hmm. gives an improvement on cheap air, airline throwaway headphones. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, they never reach the same level, but it's still improving it because it's overcoming your personal limitations there. Mm -hmm. um, later on, we can go a little bit more deeper on the technology, uh, but basically the, the three main areas is the, the hearing testing, the signal processing, and the, the fitting algorithms in between. Uh, we have 12 in-house researchers, six PhDs, and focus quite a lot on, on patterns as well, up to 67 patterns. And like our database on hearing, that we're uh, pulling a lot of intelligence out. We're now up to 1.6 million hearing tests. Okay. Um, um, and maybe around the testing, uh, as I said, it's a medically certified uh, product in the European Union. It's a uh, the number one hearing test on the App Store, and is really helping us to understand how people hear around the world. So each year we're releasing this World Hearing Index. Uh, and for example, uh, people in India hear 10 decibels worse, uh, age normalized <laughs> than the global average, while in Canada, people hear two decibels better than the international average, age normalized. Um, but also other, like, other interesting stuff, we, we have it on a city level. So we see correlation, not causation, between city noise levels and hearing loss. So Guangzhou and Hong Kong, uh, Guangzhou and Mumbai, uh, very loud, a lot of hearing loss, Zurich and Munich, fairly quiet. Uh, not so much hearing loss, not causation, but still interesting to see that they uh, correlate. And we use this intelligence of our global understanding to do, for example, demographic fitting. So when we know where you're from, your gender, how old you are, we can already approximate uh, mm -hmm. quite well where your hearing is. Of course, taking a test is way better, but still this, uh, 
quite powerful to to see those patterns. Yeah. And yeah, hearing loss is slowly progressing. Um, it's like you start with perfect perfect hearing, it's slowly going on. Maybe you're losing some details and richness in a song. Uh, then at some point it's affecting your, your speech understanding. It maybe becomes a little bit harder to have a conversation in a noisy bar. And at some point you need a hearing aid, but people think hearing loss is you cannot have a conversation anymore, but it just creeps up on you. And then when you turn up the volume, you're actually accelerating the damage. And we are basically along this line on first protecting and augmenting, then augmenting and restoring. And then it really goes into a more medical medical realm. Uh, but today I think we're touching more on the, uh, on the con consumer subclinical part of it. Um, any questions so far? I do have a few questions, I guess, but um, maybe we'll uh, just see if they come up in the rest of this presentation. Yeah, um, yeah, and later on we can can separate the more the, the more science deep dive for later. But basically, yeah. the human the human ear is quite good in translating a sound wave into into information. It can operate in very quiet environments. It can operate in loud environments, and it's basically uh, moving the information in the right loudness level, it's compressing and uh, attenuating and boosting your ear. And we are basically modeling how your ear is doing this uh, in algorithms. So we can put a healthy ear in front of your decaying ear to pre-process the sound to make it then easier for your brain to do uh, the analysis part. And yeah, so our, our processing algorithms, they basically can be on all audio devices. Uh, like our first partner was, for example, Biodynamic uh, with, with their Bluetooth headphone range, uh, but also Löwe, who invented the television, is a partner, or uh, Philips with the Porsche Design TV just went live in, in, in China, uh, but also launched with Compaq uh, in India. So it can be really different product categories from headphones, TVs, in-flight entertainment with Panasonic avionics. Um, so the, we're basically building in the contact lens into the screens. But basically, yeah, the, the, the adaptation to your hearing is happening in the devices that uh, people are using every day. And it is an ingredient brand, so users know, here I can take my hearing ID and uh, use the personalization on those products. Um, and we, we bridge quite a large spectrum. For example, Kygo with the two wireless headphones really being more on the lifestyle, on the lifestyle and really, really fashionable. Uh, and then also working, for example, with the Neurot, Austria's leading hearing aid retailer, really more on the medical, uh, clinical hearing loss end of things. Mm. And what is it bringing to users and partners? It's basically restoring these details and richness in the songs that we love that uh, otherwise otherwise lost, then improving intelligibility. So higher understanding intelligibility rates while reducing listening effort. And all of this not by cranking up the volume or pulling in an EQ, but rather allowing all of this uh, while reducing the volume. And users were trying this out. More than 90% prefer uh, that the sound adapted to their hearing profile over the original. Um, yeah, so this is the, the introduction on the more business side and product side. And yeah, and Maybe we'll focus here and then later on we can go into the more science and integration parts. Okay, so just to like just to kind of summarize the background, it sounds like you guys are coming from a clinical uh, and, and health and wellness approach to the problem of people having hearing difficulties. And you've taken that, that health and wellness uh, data and information and research and transposing it into consumer audio applications for this kind of personalized uh, hearing loss uh, aggregation, I guess. Is, is is that kind of a good summary of what uh, what it is? Um, exactly, taking taking the knowledge from, from hearing research that is normally happening more for hearing aids and for later stages of hearing loss and bringing that to consumer electronic devices to really reach the people yeah, way earlier. So that is a good summary, yeah. Is, is there still... Uh, activity for servicing the hearing loss community? We saw the uh, Austrian hearing aid company. Is, is there more 
uh, target customers like that? Because I think there'd be a big market with the over-the-counter hearing aid market starting to, to become, um, you know, uh, in the U.S., the deregulation of uh, hearing aids and also brands such as New Hera and other of these people are offering the hearing assist profile as, a, as a, a market feature. Is that a growing segment for you? Um, yeah, so we have also the, the health segment there. We, for example, offer the, the hearing testing SDK uh, as a medically certified SDK that partners can integrate who then don't become a medical device manufacturer themselves. So they don't have to go through all the hoops that you need to do. We have taken care of that. And they only become a medical device distributor. So way less uh, hassle with a medical product. So getting the, our testing. Um, and of course, with the whole um, PCEP over-the-counter hearing aid act, uh, also the, the fitting is interesting for those partners. Mm -hmm. And in general, also the processing. But we're seeing that the, the, the audio consumption on the devices that we're using every day, that is not being tackled that much. And there are quite a lot of uh, additional hurdles when you go into live sound processing as uh, you really want to separate the uh, the signal from the noise. So basically you want to identify the talker, which is a different approach than dealing with uh, pre-recorded audio uh, and also feedback cancellation and all these additional topics or beamforming. Uh, these are specific problems for, for live sound. Uh, and we are seeing huge opportunity to tackle first that part, but we're still giving components to partners in the, uh, the PCAP space. So there, the certified hearing testing, the fitting uh, and the processing in terms of the personalization part. And then uh, the other components can be added on uh, with the, the, the hardware knowledge also of partners, because then the microphone placement and so on uh, is quite important for, for these, these parts. Um, uh, I didn't prepare so much on the health side. Mm -hmm. um, we, we could do a, a special session on the more, uh, more that part maybe yeah. next year. Okay, no problem. Yeah. Let's, let's focus on the consumer side. Thank you. Jump into it. I want to find out the technical yeah. details. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, as I said, I'm I'm not an audio engineer and also not the hearing scientist. So some things are more simplified for a broader audience. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's let's see. Um, maybe starting with what what people know. There are the classical. Classical hearing test that you maybe know from an from a from an ENT or from an audiologist, it is measuring the quietest sounds that you can still hear. Um, and just yeah, to take it, uh, from it's not only hearing is not only about threshold shift. So we have also other tests, and maybe I explain this part first that people know, and then I say what really is is different. Um, so with with classical hearing uh, threshold tests, you measure what is the quietest sound you can hear, and it usually starts at the high frequencies. Uh, eating its way uh, more into the mid and lower frequencies. And here you see no loss, slight loss, mild loss, moderate loss. And at some point, this is affecting that you cannot hear speech just from a, from a loudness uh, level. Um, and then uh, like a pop song, for example, is also being affected uh, at some point in a piano piece. It's just too quiet. You cannot perceive those sounds. And we have uh, uh, using a Beccacy tracking method that is generating a rich data set. It's basically sweeping up and down the frequency range from 125 to 12 kilohertz. We have a lot of data points at the key frequencies, but also in between we have rich data that allows us to know what the audiogram of a user is. And this is, if we uh, this look... is still listening to a series of tones. Uh, uh, this data is coming from the tone method that you just mentioned. You play a tone, um, the user just detects what's the limit that they can hear. And it's basically uh, not, not a ramping tone test and it then it goes to the next frequency, but we are doing a slow frequency sweep. I see. Uh, so uh, let, me, let me show here. So we're sweeping along at the key frequencies. The sweep is a little bit slower and the user is pressing and holding while he hears it. The volume okay, goes down, he releases it. And so it's basically zigzagging up along the line and then doing a reversal. Um, and it's very robust against reaction times and uh, things like this, because we're going twice past it. And at the key frequencies, we have more than 10 reversals to really know 
how people hear in those those areas. So it's a very robust method to get a very rich uh, data set. Yeah. Got it. So that's actually the test that is uh, used on the app for this product. Um, we have, I think the the have migrated to the mask threshold test. Okay, mask um, special. Yeah, there's a masking noise there too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This this is the second test uh, about masking. I will get into this in a second. Okay. Yeah. And um, we looked at, uh, for example, three thousand uh, hearing tests from people older than fifty in Germany, where the uh, like one one population, and we see that there's a clear tendency to to high frequency hearing loss, and around two thirds have uh, have hearing loss in that uh, in that demographic. And but if we look at a uh, uh, three thousand people, twenty to twenty five, we also see that the hearing is generally better. Only around sixteen percent have hearing loss, but still, uh, there is also in that young population there is a lot of hearing differences there. So I think one really important thing is don't think about hearing loss as only an old people's problem. It can affect all of us. Of course, it's more likely that you have hearing loss the older you are, uh, but it varies a lot. And the, as you see, uh, this is in, in DBA, um, DBHL. So there are 20, 30, 40 uh, decibels difference. That is huge. Um, so makes a huge difference. And you might think now, okay, we can just apply an EQ to correct that uh, for those differences. But uh, hearing is working a little more different. This, like the first reason that you cannot just EQ it out is that the, the your thresholds, detection thresholds, they are shifting up, but uh, your pain threshold is usually staying the same or sometimes even becoming lower. So the dynamic range that is hearable and comfortable is being reduced. So their uh, EQ is having some sorts of limit that hearing aids have solved for quite some time. But there's also another reason why just EQing does not solve for the problem. And that is auditory masking. Like we all have been at a, at a noisy uh, cocktail bar and you hear, you hear all the different people talking and each individual is, is uh, talking at the, the right volume. You could perfectly understand them. But because all the people are talking at the same time, you cannot understand them. And if now everybody would talk louder, it doesn't become easier to understand them. So increasing the volume doesn't help uh, with that. And the problem is uh, auditory masking. And this is not only affecting speech in a, in a cocktail bar, but the same thing is true for, for music in an orchestra where loud details are masking more quiet ones and making it hard to either understand words or pick out nuances. And maybe now also simplifying, let's let's zoom in at uh, four kilohertz and see what's happening. We have an audio signal there. And as a young person, your, your masking curves is quite sharp. This means you have a loud detail here and it's casting a shadow around the neighboring frequencies. This is basically also what is what was used in MP3. There are certain details that you can just not hear. So why encode them? You can throw them out of the encoding because the, the young 20-year-old listener cannot hear them. Um, but as the, as the ear ages uh, or gets damaged, these masking curves uh, broaden up. And we have this mask threshold test that is basically measuring how sharp your tuning still is. And you come out then with, uh, for, for good hearing, uh, also correlating to these uh, uh, pure tone thresholds, your curve is quite sharp. And then it kind of gets broader and broader. And we see like the, the difference here between the, um, uh, between the lines, let's say from moderate to good hearing, this can be uh, 15, 20 dB difference uh, of, of details that are being masked and they're not being masked. So that is huge. So a lot, of, a lot of information that somebody young is able to hear is just covered by the hearing loss. And here the same example again, uh, maybe I'll switch quickly back here. So there, two details are being covered by masking, uh, and here it's now five details being covered. Like this is a masking for over 80 or 80 year old person, uh, an average. So a lot of details are getting lost through masking. So, 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 so for me to understand that, that means that the younger people have the ability to attenuate and listen, almost like the ear focuses on a particular frequency to hear, but as you age, the ability to focus on that and hear that in a noisy environment with all the other 
uh, noise floor going on becomes more challenging. And, and imagine your your cochlea is like a like a piano piano keys. Yeah. And when you're young, you kind of you can press individual keys, uh, but as you're aging, when you press one key, you're also somewhat pressing the neighboring keys. So uh, you cannot differentiate if it was the one key or the other. It basic basically uh, instead of being single uh, single keys that blur into each other with the neighboring ones, right. and that is ruining that makes it so hard to understand. Not the volume of people, but the blurring into each other and your the resolution of your uh, of this piano keys. Yeah, a okay. little bit simple. Okay, that's um, a good analogy. And, and this masking is not only happening around, uh, I mean, not only this detail is masking the neighboring ones, but they're all masking each other at the same time. So uh, in this case, uh, the young person, because there are all these, like you see it a little bit in the light green here in the back, uh, these curves are all kind of overlapping, resulting in some details that come above the masking and other ones that are covered. So here the young person is maybe losing one, two, three, four details, while the, the person with the broader curves is uh, losing seven. So this, this masking is then happening across the whole frequency range. Um, yeah, and here again, if we now would apply an EQ around the four kilohertz or the, in, the mid, uh, in the mid frequencies, we would be just shifting the problem up to a higher level. So there, uh, you cannot just EQ, EQ this out, uh, the masking stays the same. And yeah, the test that you did on the, the biodynamics there was the, the masking test. We basically yep. have a masker, and then you have a tone that is approaching also the sweeping method, and it's then basically creating this, this, uh, this, these curves, and then we know how sharp your, your tuning is. Right. Um, and then uh, if we look at the ear again, uh, as I said, the, the ear uh, is bringing the audio signal in a range where it can analyze it well. So the ear uh, is compressive. So sometimes things are amplified through feedback processes between the brain and the cochlea, uh, and sometimes they are attenuated. And if we look at uh, what happens with hearing loss, if we take the, uh, the input-output function of a normal hearing person, that is quite compressive. And if you take a post-mortem uh, input-output function, it's linear. And if you take a hearing-impaired person, it's less compressive. So this, this natural compressiveness of the ear is actually helping us to analyze the signal. And that is what's actually happening through our ear. So we're not changing something, but we're actually bringing back something that biology did uh, already. And so basically our algorithms mimic this behavior of the healthy ear. And as your ear becomes less compressive, we are doing the pre-compressing before it goes into your ear to make it easier for, for the brain to do the things again. So then oversimplified again, um, the, uh, some loud details are attenuated, some quiet details are boosted. So they are basically lifted above uh, the, the, the masking so you again can hear more details at the same time. Um, yeah, um, that's a little bit of simplification, but I think this brings a little bit closer to why an EQ cannot solve this, but it needs to be tackled in this way. And this is, of course, then not only happening again in this one frequency, but across all the frequencies. And um, so we're also forward looking and it's setting the, the compression thresholds dynamically uh, in multiple bands in real time, seeing that as many details are audible and perceivable for you uh, as possible. Uh, so this is, that is the difference from a more technical approach, but taking this human-centered approach of seeing how hearing is actually working. And we also see that this, this processing technology not only has benefits for people who have uh, hearing loss, but also for normal hearing listeners, we see huge improvements in speech intelligibility. So uh, in like standardized uh, speech intelligibility tests, 
it brings people up from understanding 10% of the words to understanding 50% uh, of the words. So there's a 40% increase in speech intelligibility. So uh, let's say in a noisy environment, uh, the speech signal can be three decibels less loud. And this was just taking our non-optimized presets uh, and seeing what they do. So this has also huge benefits for non-hearing loss uh, users. And this makes it a very, very interesting approach for a lot of different, different fields. And again, so this, I think this, I hope this could explain how this is restoring details. So it's bringing up these details, like these details this can be uh, parts of instruments, but it can also be uh, parts of words that make it easier to understand what somebody is saying. And so we're not doing this by boosting and trying to get louder, but by doing it in a smart way uh, where people often even reduce the volume uh, and have better understanding. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned uh, testing, processing, and fitting. Could you explain a little bit more what those uh, three categories mean? Mm -hmm. um, so for the for the testing, uh, we have, for example, these two tests, but are also working on other super threshold tests that are measuring your hearing ability in the area where you can hear. Mm -hmm. um, then the, the processing was basically this mimicking of the human auditory system uh, and having very clever properties that the biology has solved. And then you need to know if I have a hearing test result on the one side, if I then have the, the processing algorithm, how do I set this up? And we have losing all the, we're using all the data that's coming into creating like a personalized um, model of your auditory system. So um, basically what uh, MP3 was doing uh, saying, okay, this person can hear those details. We can throw them out. We can analyze through this, how do we need to set up the parameters to make more details perceivable? And so this is how we're optimizing and training our fitting algorithms and we can train on music content to make it as close to somebody uh, with no hearing loss so really uh, going after the artist's intent um, and also I think we think it's important that we don't mess around with uh, with hardware differences uh, I mean there are great hard, uh, headphone companies out there that they do a lot of work into the tuning part so our technology is more about seeing that the headphone sounds the same to me as it sounds to you, but not trying to eradicate how that headphone is sounding, but really seeing how I perceive it differently. So not making a tube television into an ultra HD television. Yeah, and this, uh, this, this, this fitting is learning better based on the data that we're getting in, how to set the processing up to improve and bring back more details but then also we're now working on voice presets that are over-optimizing um, uh, speech intelligibility. And maybe the analogy again, if I look, if I have glasses on and I look at a Picasso, my glasses are not changing the Picasso. It basically stays, uh, I can then see it how it was painted. But if I'm wearing maybe uh, orange goggles for skiing, they help with depth perception on the slope and uh, they are not showing the piece as it is. It's changing reality, but it makes it better for the purpose of skiing down there. And so we can also use our algorithms for specific voice modes to improve intelligibility that is then deviating from the uh, original signal, but making it better to be understood. Uh, so, could, so the term, it, uh, yeah, go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, so it could be adapted for specialty applications, like people working in in call centers, perhaps, where they have to talk to people you know, every minute and maybe sometimes accents difficult to hear. Is that, is that one area that you, you can service? Mm -hmm. okay. for, the, for the cost of the case, we can do two interesting parts. On the one hand, we can uh, personalize the signal that is coming in for the call center agent, but we can also personalize the signal going out. Uh, if you know who, who is calling based on our demographic data, we can optimize the signal for the person calling in. So both sides understand each other better. Wow. Uh, and for the call center agent, it's, it's more understanding at a lower volume. So also for, for a work safety perspective, 
this is a huge improvement. Um, and also probably call times go down because both sides understand each other more, more easily, less misunderstandings, less asking back what somebody else said. And if you're doing eight hours of calls a day, that can be a huge improvement. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, so I did the hearing test on this one and it's the masking noise that you mentioned. There's a, there's a tone that's gradually sweeping up the frequency range and then a masking noise plays over the top of it. And the purpose of that test is to uh, generate some parameters that you use for this model that you mentioned. Uh, exactly. So, um, so basically we're measuring then the, uh, this tuning curve and how sharp it still is. And this is what we're then using to parameterize uh, the algorithm to uncover more details for you. And uh, in the model, how many parameters are we talking about? Um, I th the, the, the processing, I think you have to uh, ask our engineering team, but I think it's something like 140 in that range. Uh, so it's kind of like a, a gigantic formula and you fill in these constants and that's your hearing ID. Yeah. So the, what you call the, your hearing ID with the, with the hearing ID, we're collecting more and more information about how to optimally, optimally set you up. Um, so the different tests can go into your model. So the, 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 the pure tone threshold test, the mass threshold test, uh, but we're also working on a, on a, preference fine-tuning part uh, where you can adjust a little bit more um, and all of that is then going into your hearing ID that then you can take to different devices. Uh, we also, for example, allow um, an intensity slider, like some people who uh, are new to this, they don't like the 100% compensation right away. They prefer to start with, let's say, 50%. And that is also common in hearing aids. People, when they get a hearing aid, they're not used to it. So maybe sometimes the sound is a little bit uh, new, uh, but then over time, people normally adapt to the recommended setting. So it's fair to say there's kind of two elements to it. One is to uh, uh, the testing element to generate this uh, hearing ID or the various parameters. The other one is actually to run this algorithm using those parameters to generate a, an input output. Um, maybe this is a good uh, time to jump in how how the technology works because <laughs> yep, then please. I can say what components are working with with what um, uh, just in general like we are available on a lot of uh, platforms and chips and so on um, so like from headphones smartphones television SDKs for for streaming and mobile apps uh, so there's a broad range and today I picked out some examples from headphones uh, yeah, not to kind of explain all, the, all of the different ones, but there is this uh, integrate.mimi.io where you can find out more information for the different platforms if you want to dig deeper. Uh, today, examples from headphones. And uh, so we have uh, processing libraries that go onto the uh, Bluetooth chip or DSP in the headphone. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is communicating with the uh, companion app and the partner gets our SDK uh, where they have then the testing, the authentication, and so on to set up uh, the hearing profile that then communicates, uh, like the, the servers are analyzing the test results, generating the presets based on the latest updated fitting rules, sending it back to the companion app, which then is uploading the profile on the headphone. It's being stored there. And once I've set up the headphone with the companion app, I can connect it to any other device. The mm. profile is stored there, and I can listen with those headphones on my my computer, my TV, wherever, and it's then adapted to me. And uh, yeah, the, the SDK uh, is easily integrated. Uh, it's customizable, so there's easy theming, so it can be adapted to the brands of our partners very, very quickly. Um, and in there, there is, for example, access to the lower level APIs if you want to uh, build your own, own components, but we have uh, ready components like the whole test flow so you can just move the test into your uh, companion app, the authentication flow to log in with the hearing ID and other UX components that make it easy for a partner to, to get started. Um, then the processing libraries, we're available on a broad range of chips uh, from 
ja, CSR Kalimba, QCC, uh, Tensilica Hi-Fi DSP, Aroha and so on, uh, but also for smartphones offloading a Snapdragon on a Hexagon DSP. So really a broad, broad range of uh, targets that we have already ported to, uh, and we're continuously adding to the list. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, also there again, checking this integrate.mimi page to see, uh, or talking with our support team to tell you what's exactly available right now and what's on the pipeline. And here maybe some specs for uh, for the SDK on the uh, on the right side, and then more for the processing library on the left side. This is examples for the Kalimba. Uh, it's seven thousand nine hundred words and twenty eight MIPS. Uh, but we also have a high efficiency mode if you are a little bit scarce uh, on resources there. Um, and yeah, continuously improving and with with better chips, uh, also new generations coming out. Um, yeah, and again, here the partner portal that can help you to find more information for for smartphones or for streaming uh, and so on. Yeah, that was the uh, the integration part. Uh, how difficult was it to get the chip manufacturers to buy into it, and uh, uh, how difficult was it to then implement code for their chips? I mean, it's a it's a learning curve. Like the the documentation is uh, sometimes uh, scarce, let's say. Yeah. Uh, but then after after several chips, uh, the team has been gotten used to, and we have also good good external partners that really accelerate porting to to new chips. But yeah, it was not easy. Like the the first ones, they uh, took a while. Uh, it was not that easy. And uh, how how so? Uh, this is a bit of a curiosity for me. Uh, if I get a uh, BES development kit, they basically give me a, a chunk of firmware and say, you can go to town and pick through that uh, as much as you want. There's a few pre-built libraries and so on. Um, but to try and make any serious change to the DSP uh, aspect of that is pretty much rewriting the whole code, is it not? I mean, how, how flexible is it? Um... Yeah, I'm. I'm not the one doing it. Uh, I just heard like with with setting certain flags, there's no documentation, and then there are a gazillion combinations, and uh, that's that's the parts that I hear. Uh, but I don't know exactly uh, what the team was doing there. Uh, do people come um, along and say, okay, we want to implement your technology, and we're using the uh, so the BES two three zero two three zero zero there, and. Uh, uh, do you have to set them up with a design house who already knows how to implement your technology, or is it a pretty much a drop-in library at this point? Um, it, uh, it depends on the partner. It's it's a it's a drop-in library. Sometimes there are uh, then variations of chips. For example, for Kygo, there we uh, the true wireless setup. It's a little bit different than the um, non-true wireless setup, and they're a little bit smaller modifications. But then we have also that setup on on file and then it's usually dragging it in but then of course if the partner has done some modifications on their side it sometimes needs to be adapted to what they have changed but for the for the default default setup it's uh, what i hear pretty pretty easy then to drop in um okay. yeah and uh, which is the best chip to work with do you think <laughs> Maybe um, you can't name names, but uh, just curious. <laughs> Qualcomm's the the uh, top of the line. Is that is that really the case? We see interesting movements in the market. Like there's there's shifts going on. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I want. I don't want to pick one over the other. Um, sure, I can't pick winners. Uh, jumping back into the processing power aspect of it, you mentioned. Uh, 2.2 MIPS, was it? I was frantically trying to read that slide. Can we just jump back to that one? Uh, 28. 28 MIPS. And that amounts to 2.2 milliamps of power consumption. Mm. And the uh, memory, uh, 7,900 words. It's pretty small, isn't it? I mean, a lot of these chips have uh, hundreds of kilobytes. Yeah. So the uh, words you you mean uh, thirty two bits? So it's you know it's four times that bytes. Is that is that right? Uh, here again, uh, I'm not 
the right ones to ask. Maybe we can go follow up with more, more, more technical team. Um, yeah. That's okay. Okay, no problems. And then, uh, so in all cases, when you set these parameters, it's uploaded to the chip and then it just runs independent of a device. Yeah, uh, then it's stored on the on the headphone in the in the example here, uh, and then the processing is happening there, um, independent of the of the of the of the smartphone, let's say. Uh, but it's also available as uh, uh, as a modification to the operating system. So a smartphone OEM can also build it in, and then it works with any headphone, uh, any Bluetooth speaker, the car, wherever they are then connecting the smartphone to. And we also have it available as an SDK for an app. Mm -hmm. um, so a streaming service can build it in, then only the music, let's say from that one streaming service is personalized. Uh, but if the OEM builds it into the smartphone, then all applications are uh, personalized. So uh, the, depending on your use case, uh, all of these levels make sense. Like a streaming service can roll that out very quickly to a lot of users by an app update. An OEM can make it accessible to all apps and all connected devices on the operating system, uh, or a headphone manufacturer can put it um, on the on the headphone itself. That then can go to a lot of different devices. So I'd had a play uh, with this unit and did the hearing test and so on, and yep, I can hear the difference. That's fantastic. So I thought I wanted to make a measurement and see what it's doing, and uh, so I set it to off. Uh, take a frequency sweep, a uh, frequency response using a, a swept sign chip. Then I tried just set it to the limit to try to max out one side. It's completely deaf. I didn't, you know, I wouldn't press the button at all until it's screaming at me. The other side, I kept it pinned to zero. Try to measure it again, and there's no difference. So <laughs> it, you can't see the effect just from measuring a frequency response chip. Is that does that sound right to you? Was I doing something wrong? So. I, I mean, I, I don't know what it told you about the test results because it would be in both cases a flat tuning curve. Yeah. Um, because, but then it's, um, I think it should throw an error message uh, or say something about that the test wouldn't work because you were not responding. Um, uh, I mean, I can, I can do the hearing test and I just try and push it to the limit. So one side has, you know, a, a, apparently poor hearing the other side is very good and then i try to make a frequency response measurement but there's you, you don't see any change in the frequency response measurement so when you you know run a, a chirp signal through it and take a frequency response to the headphone there's nothing obvious going on from a frequency response which i thought was quite interesting um i guess it's because we because we're not EQing it out yeah but rather exactly. the details in so i guess with the chirp there's no no changes to be to be made, but there again, I think the research team can explain more deeply what's uh, what's happening in that edge case of uh, how you set up the the profiles and then sending a sweep through. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's not EQing, correct? How um, do you go about? Uh, I guess uh, the the follow up to that is how do you go about uh, measuring or characterizing what it's doing? Um. So the uh, the, what do you mean? Would I do something like uh, try and put in two adjacent tones and see if the relative level of those tones shifts due to this, uh, due to the algorithm? How would you go about, yeah. uh, you know, doing, uh, uh, you know, an analytic measurement of what this algorithm is doing? Let's say I wanted to reverse engineer it, for example. <laughs> um, uh, you can also look into the patterns uh, for that, but. <laughs> Basically, um, as I as I showed here, it is um, setting the parameters in a way that it's acting to uh, boost certain details and attenuate some. So if you're putting in two parallel signals, if you're then switching processing on and off, uh, if before the on off it was being masked, it should then become audible by switching it yeah. on. Yeah. Um, but of course, you need to be at the edge. So it can be that there's a quiet detail that gets lifted up, but it's still being masked. But you can, I think you can definitely find a setup where it is on the edge and then the turning on and off will make that detail audible uh, versus, uh, versus before.
It's very interesting because subjectively it sounded something like an EQ adjustment, but uh, when you go and measure it, that doesn't actually exist. Mm. Yeah. So quite fascinating. So it, it, of course, then in the, in the sum of things, uh, it might also change the coloration, but just because you're perceiving certain parts that you were not seeing be perceiving before. Um, yeah. So this is the, that's the that's the interesting part that it's not an EQ, but rather taking care of these masking masking problems. Yeah, and uh, how long does it take? Uh, over what period of time have you developed the uh, pairing test and the algorithm? Uh, so we started uh, around six seven years ago, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, my co-founder Dr. Nick Clark he did uh, already work on these biological inspired algorithms in his uh, postdoc times, so probably. 10, 15, 15 years ago, uh, starting and working on the sure. on the core of things, uh, and then um, the the testing part we have really started uh, within Mimi. Uh, for example, it's, what also is quite interesting testing is is quite challenging because uh, for these pure tone threshold tests, you need to calibrate for different uh, device combinations. Uh, but the interesting part about these masking masking tests uh, in a certain volume range that you normally have on matter that much because I'm just measuring the shape of that curve, uh, and if I'm measuring that uh, five ten dBs louder or less loud, the curve stays pretty much the same. So these yes. tests are quite robust for uncalibrated equipment and for tackling the, the broad Android market. Uh, that's another reason why we developed those tests because they are very universal and can uh, yeah, be done on, uh, on yeah, uncalibrated devices and are very robust. Uh, also interesting is uh, a challenge for the pure tone threshold test is where do we set the, the noise level of the monitor? So there is a... Um, Mm -hmm. uh, a monitor running to see if there's uh, is noise around you and it's recording it and if um, if the test results uh, if the noise was so loud it would be affecting your test results you get a warning in the test results on the uh, on the hearing test app for example on the app store um, and so you know it was too loud it might affect your results and if it gets too loud you even get a warning saying hey now you cannot continue the test and of course, the pure tone threshold test, if you have, uh, you're sitting in New York, have the window open or, or in Hong Kong, I guess, you probably cannot uh, do a test when it's very, very loud. And uh, the super threshold tests uh, as the masking test, since you're doing them not at the threshold of hearing, but above it, they're also less affected by, by environmental noise. So not only more robust from not needing calibrated equipment that much, but also more robust in terms of areas you can do it. And so we need to find the right level of the noise monitor that people in New York can somehow do a test, but also that we have a consumer grade accuracy of it. Uh, we of course can make it even more strict, but then in a lot of locations, you're just frustrated because you cannot uh, finish the, the assessment. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'd imagine so the, the scope of it is, is quite huge. You've got uh, Android apps, you've got uh, firmware and chips. Uh, developing the test stuff. It's a huge amount of work. How many people are in the back there? And uh, uh, you've got a whole lot of different platforms too. You must be doing C and some Android or whatever, Java, and then the firmware and chips. How many people? How long is this? Uh... Um, we are now around 65. Um, most of the team sits in Berlin, but we have also people on the ground in, in Shenzhen. Uh, sales and field application engineers to help partners uh, directly there, but also colleagues in uh, in Seoul uh, and in San Francisco. Uh, so in total, uh, it's around 65 right now. 65. So from the point at which you kind of started, let's say, if you, you can't really pick a point like that, let's say you started until you're able to actually uh, ship a product or deploy some. How long did that take? So we we started. We had quite early in uh, a hearing test and a live sound app out. We, we, mm -hmm. we, we originally started even basically turning a smartphone into a hearing aid. Uh, still, when hearables were not a thing, 
you could have your headphones plugged in and uh, use the smartphone basically as a uh, yeah to to amplify the sounds around you. Mm -hmm. uh, and we then realized uh, it's a little bit awkward sitting on a uh, at a dinner table and putting your phone out and having headphones in, especially uh, yeah six seven years ago. This was was very strange. Now it's becoming more normal. And we then realized when are people anyways wearing headphones? And we then started tweaking the algorithms for, for music listening. And then one day Nick came running and said, wow, now it also sounds better to me. And then we realized we can go from disabling hearing loss to, to earlier stages of it. Um, and basically uh, from coming from the hearing aid industry, like the stigma is a huge problem. Like it's, uh, you might be, people feel that they're old or um, and that, they, that they are impaired, but we are making it something very, very casual. So uh, if, you're, if your kids and your grandchildren are doing sound personalization to hear better, but also healthier, then it's becoming something very normal for uh, also other people to do. And that's when we then expanded to sound personalization in general. Uh, and then when we realized that this is also leading to listening less loud and we're really seeing the, the protection part as a crucial element, seeing like this hearing loss pandemic rolling over us. Mm. Um, so we're really using the understanding of the hearing, how it works to improve it, but also protect it. Um, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So yeah, that's quite a, quite a bit of detail on, uh, on Mimi. Is, is there something more we should know before we uh, wrap it up for today? Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, maybe sorry for not having all the technical details there. Uh, I think our our teams are quite happy to explain then for your platform what it exactly means, and our researchers to explain also these these questions there. So uh, I encourage everyone to reach out uh, to talk with the right people. But I I hope I could give a good overview uh, in general and bringing across that it's not as easy as an EQ there more things happening in the ear and the brain with hearing. And I hope I could create some curiosity. Sure, I really enjoyed it's, very, uh, it's very interesting indeed. Yeah, so for the, let's uh, stop the sharing. So for the, um, for the, the questions and such, people can uh, post comments below in the YouTube questions. And um, we'll also put uh, contact information to reach out to Mimi in terms of like uh, your social media contacts. So I'll, I'll get that for you for when we post this up so people uh, contact you on the right channels. And um, yeah, so the, the company, yeah, you said your office is Seoul, Shenzhen, San Francisco and Berlin headquarters. That's pretty, pretty global. Um, it seems like as Simon mentioned, a wide array, a breadth of products uh, that you can service with this technology. So it looks like a pretty, exciting uh, scalability, uh, you know, both in the technology and financially. Uh, you guys are a private company at this point? We're private, yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, I guess, Simon, do you have any further questions for Philip? No, it's very informative. Thanks, Philip. Yeah, cool. It's very interesting to see a technology that's coming at uh, adhering from a, from a health perspective. It is a massive issue. Um, a lot of people know the metric of the seven-year delay from when people detect, uh, detect hearing loss to when they actually act on it. So I think uh, things like Mimi or AirPods or New Hera, these brands that make uh, uh, hearing protection and hearing uh, you know, improvement assistance cool, so to speak, uh, is a great thing for the, for the whole market. So that's uh, it's exciting space to be in. So um, go ahead. Sorry, and this, this the seven years thing is interesting because that is really hearing loss affecting your speech understanding, but it's starting way earlier to affect all the fine nuances in music. So if you're really appreciating high quality audio, then hearing loss is basically from your teenage years starting to eat away. So that's not only seven years, but probably uh, 30 years too late that people are doing something. Uh, I just Right, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. No, good point. It's like teenagers blasting there whatever it might be, techno or death metal, whichever your preference is, uh, it's the hearing loss starts early. So It's 2020, right. Dave. There's no techno and death metal anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well, techno. 
Yeah, well, well, Berlin's uh, pretty cool for techno. I know that uh, there's a famous Canadian DJ that moved to Berlin now. So, um, all right. Well, I won't go into that tangent, but uh, just want to thank Simon for joining us from Japan and Philip calling in from Berlin. We really appreciate. It. Very informative. Again, if anybody has any questions, please post uh, down below. Ask your questions and uh, please click like and subscribe if you enjoyed this video today. So thanks, everybody. Have a great day.